Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We got Keely Yor here talking some USC football with me, your host Ryan Abraham. We're going to have a couple special guests on the show a little bit later to uh, later, not later today, later in the show, talking about uh, the USC Alumni Club, the Trojan Club, some of the issues that are going on with that. So we're going to try to dig in and find out what's going on there. If you have any questions or comments for us on the show? Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. And as always, you can leave us some positive feedback, five-star reviews. We love them on Apple Podcasts. And we'll get an update if we got any new reviews with Keely Yor. You can follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. Do your best to give her a follow. She likes to try to beat shotgun on a number of followers. So uh, I think I think you're ahead, right, Kaylee? Yeah, I'm definitely ahead. You started that rivalry. I didn't, Ryan. I started it? How did you I start? You did. Because you're a troll and you like to instigate. I do like that's true. I do like to instigate, but I don't know if I really started that. I mean, now shotgun says he's winning because he has multiple accounts, so he his total's is bigger than yours, right? Sure, but that's a baseball account as well. But if you want to go off pure USC numbers, I am the clear winner. Nice. And what did you start off with? When uh, How many followers did you have at the beginning? <laughs> when I became your intern, I think I had 30 followers on Twitter. So thanks for that, Ryan. What, where are you now? Uh, I think I'm like 11,500 around there. That's How crazy. I know, right? Pretty crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, good job there. Um yeah, we mentioned the uh, the reviews we love on Apple Podcasts. We're on all the different platforms. We actually got an email or a text message. Text message, Harry Peristyle, don't bail on Stitcher for your podcast. Uh, that's a good platform and the only one I use, Fight On. Uh, no problem. We're not bailing on anything. Stitcher is a great one. And uh, anyone that uses that, if you use Spotify or you know iHeartRadio, wherever you want it, look, we're on there. We should be on there. Um, but we do love the Apple Podcast. There's great reviews there. It's the former iTunes. And anytime you give us a five-star rating and review, it really helps us out. I think we're just a few away from 800 total reviews. So that would be awesome. If, we're you know, four if you go away. We're four away? Yes. Yeah. So we, we got by next show, we want to be over 800. So please, you know, go out there. And, and I think you can do them, like if you did it like a month ago, I think you can do it again. But, you know, it's, I don't know how often, but you can do it. It's not like once in your lifetime. Um, so yeah, get us over that 800 mark. That would be, we really appreciate that. And, uh, we'll definitely read them. And I think we, I think we have at least one new one this week, Keely. We do. And it was submitted on Friday. The title is a sad face and it's from, I can't even pronounce it as G F D S S D D F G G. And he says, or she says, if only this was an election year, we'd be playing. So a little politics to get us started on the phone. A little politics. I mean, Unfortunately, and we're going to get into this a little bit today, the politics are, you know, it's part of the fabric of what we're dealing with right now. And when you have blue states mostly not playing and red states playing, I think Kyle Bonagora did a great, um, like, graphical, uh, you know, presentation for ESPN showing how uh, you can get, how, like, sporting events could be, like, these super spreader events. And he took three different games. Uh, one of them was, uh, you know, the USC, I think, Stanford game from last year. And it, it tracked people's cell phones to where they would go. Um, and so you could see, like, you know, in L.A., it was pretty much, you know, people kind of drove from close by the stadium and drove home. But, like, in Alabama, they were going from, like, and I think they did a Nebraska game. For Nebraska, they were going for states all around. So it could go from, like, all these people in the stadium to spreading out over multiple states. L.A. County itself is bigger than 41 has more population than 41 of the states. So it's mostly people staying in LA County, but obviously there's a lot more people there to spread to, but it was a really interesting graphical representation of what could happen after a game in the next like four hours, eight hours, 24 hours, things like that. But when you look at the map and show, they put little dots of who was playing and who was not. And it was pretty much like the West coast isn't playing. Like I think BYU is the only team that is, 
Uh, mostly the Northeast isn't playing, but it's, it's like the, you know, and the, and a lot of the upper Midwest isn't playing, but like the South East and, you know, Texas and stuff, they are playing. And it just seemed really, the way it was divided was more like a red state, blue state kind of map. The ones that are playing versus not. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just not looking at Kyle's article. It's really interesting taking the cell phone data and just the way he laid out kind of the the thesis of of how much these events can spread this is crazy so definitely check it out it's it's, it's well done uh kyle did a great job uh, with that congratulations to kyle he's got a new baby at home i think two months mm-hmm. old now so um congrats kyle and your family and before we jump <laughs> into more uh, i wanted to thank our sponsor uh trader joe's we're in september now keely can you believe that right this is crazy. In another life, we would be previewing USC Alabama right now, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could have been the theme for today's show. Like, what could have been USC Alabama uh, non-preview? I know we did a Harvey Hyde show where we were like, today was supposed to be the first day of fall camp, but it's not. You know, we didn't do that. But um, I do want to thank Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. I can't believe the pandemic's been going on this long, but uh, just been an awesome shopping experience from the very beginning when it was really sketchy going to. Any place like that, they they just handled it really well from the very beginning of the pandemic, and it just got better. Uh, since then, I always feel safe when I go there, and I like checking out TraderDose.com to find something cool that I want to try. And uh, they put something up a couple days ago, Keely, dark chocolate cookie sticks. So they look oh. like these little tubes, and the cookie sticks dipped in chocolate. It's just like a perfect little snack. Uh, they're only $1.69, which is crazy. Um, so... I am definitely going to pick up some of those. You want to bring them to like a little party. Those are things you can kind of like put in a glass and kind of spiral them around. The, the presentation looks very cool. So, uh, oh, nice. I don't know if they're gluten free or not, but they, uh, they don't sound like it. They, they, yeah. They're not, I'm not okay. sure. Usually they say gluten free on there if they're not, but <laughs> check those out. I'm going to check those out next time I'm in, uh, Trader Joe's. I have to go back and listen to the show because I know sometimes I talk about something like, oh, wait, what did I want to try? And I got to like go back and, uh, take a look. Um, so we got a lot of stuff to get to and, uh, we'll get to our, uh, our couple of guests. So, um, it's, uh, Sam, we're going to talk to Sam, uh, Friedberg and, uh, also, um, Sam Dorn and both of them are USC alumni and they're both been involved in different alumni clubs. Uh, Sam Dorn was with the, uh, USC alumni club, uh, from Washington DC and then, uh, Sam, uh, Friedberg, uh, he actually, he's in Arizona. So he was with the USC alumni club of Phoenix. Um, and so we're going to talk to those guys about what's been going on. The the clubs essentially have been shut down the alumni clubs and also the Trojan clubs, which are part of the uh, athletic department. And there's going to be, there's an online portal now where you can do set up presentations and, and gatherings and things like that. And, uh, there was, a lot of pushback from people that were running these clubs for years and years and years. So we're going to talk to a couple of those guys who've been kind of like the representation for the club side, giving presentations to USC of why this was a bad idea, see where they are. And uh, cause I know we've had a lot of questions about it. People have talked about it, sent in their thoughts. And uh, so we want to talk to a couple of those guys just to see where we are and what's going on. And if there's some sort of resolution uh, going forward, I've, you know, been lucky enough to speak at a lot of these different clubs uh, events and uh, they're fun you know last year going to uh, the 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 Trojan Club of the Desert and playing in a golf tournament with Jake Olson like one of the coolest experience I've ever had you know so I'm it's bummed me out to see these things uh, go away because I've been involved with a bunch of them but we're going to do that a little bit later on the show um, and but we before that, Keely, we, mm-hmm. there was a story you put up and we got an email from USC yesterday that these workouts are going to continue to be paused until at least uh, September 8th. So maybe you want to give everyone kind of an update of uh, what's going on there. Yeah. So I don't think we actually addressed this on the podcast last week just because the news came out on Wednesday. But last Wednesday, USC got alerted, actually Tuesday night, and they actually worked through the whole night because they were alerted that eight student-athletes tested positive. And to give you an idea, USC has essentially done, at that point, 900 tests, COVID-19 tests, and only had eight positives throughout like eight weeks. And so in less than one week, they doubled their amount of total positive cases. So it was definitely a red alarm for the athletic department because they were like, what is happening? We have this under control. And now uh, we have so many positive 
positive cases. So they worked through the night, they did contract tracing, and they figured out that it was um, through off-campus activities. It wasn't through USC's workouts. Um, But because of just the high numbers, they decided to pause workouts for both football and men's water polo because that's where both of the uh, the that were all the cases originated in those sports. So they paused workouts. Um, they were going to do another test on Friday just to see if they had gotten it under control and then reevaluate on Monday. So yesterday they got the tests again and they uh, one more student athlete tested positively. So uh, they decided to pause workouts still until at least September 8th. Uh, for both football and men's water polo until they can get it under control. That extra case was, again, contract traced to off-campus activity. So it's a higher amount of cases, and this is what you're just going to have when you have student-athletes not in a bubble. You're not going to be able to control what they're doing outside of campus and stuff like that. Um, Speaking to some sources, it just seemed like it wasn't necessarily that student-athletes uh, went crazy once the semester started. It was more like there are people living off campus, thus you're going to have more people around, a higher chance of community spread. And because of that, that's why you're seeing higher numbers. Because if you look at USC in itself, uh, they put out multiple advisories last week just to its students about how COVID-19 is just on the rise in the community. I think they originally said that 47 students uh, tested positively in 100 were in uh, quarantine on Monday, and then they updated that on Thursday and said even more uh, students tested positively. So I believe the total number is 147 students that tested positive last week. So if you have that high number in the community, it makes sense that you would see that kind of trickle into the student-athlete population. So uh, USC is just doing the smart thing and is just putting a pause because they're not really competing for anything right now. So rather be safe than sorry on that front. Um, But the interesting thing I found out was that on last Monday, USC was actually having plans in place to bring back uh, all the other sports. So right now, USC only has six sports on campus, but uh, they were trying to get all the other uh, 21 minus sixes. I can't do it off the top of my head right now, Ryan, which is pathetic. Uh, (laughs) They're having all those other sports come back. Thank you. 15. (laughs) They're having the other 15 sports come back. Uh, and reintegrate onto campus and do their workouts, but they had to put that on pause. So they were literally the week they were planning to have uh, get those plans in place to have those sports come back, their programs, their coaches, everything come back. They were like, wait, no, we can't do that. We have to make sure the six are good before we even try and think of adding more people to the student-athlete population. So it was kind of an unexpected hurdle for USC. They're trying to get it under control. Part of that is that they're now uh, upgrading to testing twice weekly to try and get it under control. And I also found out that they're now doing a new private system uh, of testing rather than going through Keck. So it's a little bit faster that way. So just some updates with USC and how they're trying to get it under control. It's kind of sad for them because they essentially went five weeks without a positive. um, And now they're dealing with this kind of mini outbreak on their hands. But uh, they seem to be having getting it under control and doing the the responsible uh, things that need to be done. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an issue with the you know, you're pausing workouts when there's no eminent date to start. And I think this is a good time to do it. I think you, you probably need to ramp things up in a couple of weeks. If we see the other power five conferences that are playing go through and have the successful games and the virus isn't spreading and it looks like it can work at that point, then I think the PAC 12 looks forward to, okay, well, Let's try to have a spring season. Let's try to play in January, February, March, or whatever. And um, we'll start fall camp sometime in December. So then you can have your workouts in October and November kind of leading up to a fall camp. And you can ramp up that way. Until that happens, it's really just keeping guys sharp, keeping them in shape, um, you know, getting them ready. So if you are able to flip the switch at some point, you're not coming in cold. So if you got to take a couple of weeks off for some positive tests as soon as student comes students come back. I mean, that's fine. And I think we're yeah. seeing this across the country, even in a bubble like situation, which you have at USC with no in-person classes, there's still going to be students that are living off campus. The football players live off campus, you know, they're going to mingle. Um, and you're going to see, you know, people return to campus with COVID that they didn't even know about. And it's tougher with the, with the younger crowd, because most of the time you don't even know uh, when you have it, but they're doing some testing and you know, you're going to see results like that, but it, it's good. I mean, it doesn't seem like anyone's 
any, you know, any real danger, uh, but they're just being careful and cautious and, you know, they'll pause the workout. So, I mean, I'm fine with it, but you, USC, we'll get into more of this later, but, you know, USC and the Pac-12, they're in sort of a wait and see mode. Um, you know, keep your, I guess this is a civil war reference. Like you keep your powder dry. You're like ready to shoot if you have to, but you know, you're probably not going to be shooting anytime soon. So they're just keeping their powder dry, getting ready to, uh, getting ready to go whenever they have to. But right now you're basically waiting for, I guess if there's a war analogy, you're, you're waiting for the enemy, but it's not really the enemy, but you're waiting for, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen in the ACC, the SEC and the uh, big 12. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is that this does give you a window into how USC would treat uh, an outbreak like this if they were in a season compared to maybe some of the other schools we're seeing right now who are having outbreaks in the in the 20s. You know, USC had uh, originally had they thought they had three new cases and they decided they were going to pause workouts from that that moment. So I don't think USC is going to be in the camp that says, hey, we have a whole position group out, but let's keep practicing, you know. So I think this gives you a kind of test run for if they were to play and coronavirus is still uh, rampant in the community, how they would handle it if something happened. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like if you make the decision to go forward, three cases where you couldn't shut down for three cases. Like you just know there's going to be some. And, you, you know, knowing that, those three athletes are probably not in any kind of grave danger. Uh, so you just bring them out of circulation. They got to quarantine, whatever you got to do and, uh, and kind of move forward. If you've made that decision, if you haven't, then there's no real, you know, you don't need to take any unnecessary risks, but if you're trying to have the season and that, that's what we're seeing in these other conferences, I mean, we've seen some, some heavy work, you know, breakouts happening where multiple position groups were being impacted and maybe the workouts weren't even paused. Um, so that's the, I guess that's what I'm curious about, Keely, is when these games are going forward, how many guys are out? Are they going to be? It's just one of those things that you're going to have to adapt to. And I don't know what the threshold's going to be for shutting things down. I, I just don't. I think it's got to be pretty dire for them to shut things down. If it's like, you know, the entire offensive line room was hit, okay, that the game might be delayed. But you're like, oh, we're out our starting right tackle and our starting guard. Uh, you know, left guard and our best wide receiver are, are all in quarantine. Oh, well, the show must go on. You play without those guys, just like they were injured. Um, I feel like that's kind of going to be the case. But if it's something completely devastating, like an entire position group, then maybe you wouldn't be able to go forward. But I think now that you've made the decision to play, you're not going to be like backing off of it because of a couple of positive tests. Yeah, but I think this goes back to, and I mentioned this before, what LA County will require. And we've kind of figured out that the pro sports have a different requirement than what they've given to uh, high school and college athletics. Because like I said before, like the Rams, for example, if you have your left tackle test positive, you might have the, the left guard have to quarantine, but not the whole offensive line. Whereas as it stands right now in college, if they were to play, I think the whole line and, and maybe the defenders who played against that left tackle would have to quarantine and be extra cautious. So it really depends, like I say, <laughs> I feel like every week on this, what, what the local authorities would have to say in this, because it seems like they in L.A. would be much more uh, cautious than other other areas. Yeah, it's it's the definition of, and we talked about this, I think, in the war room, but also you know, on the website, and we probably talked about here, the definition of, you know, close contact. And mm-hmm. you couldn't, yeah. the way USC was, you know, the L.A. County was defining close contact, if somebody on the team got, like, was testing positive, the whole team would have to quarantine. I believe at the time, I don't, I don't know if that's the case right now, but they didn't have good contact tracing. So basically anyone that was in the vicinity, you're going to have to like quarantine for two weeks. Um, that's obviously not going to work in college football. And so you're getting in these where they're playing, um, there's different definitions and you know, it's, there's not some uniform way to define it, but if you're not having the sort of strict regulations that you're getting from local authorities and the statewide authorities here in California, I think you can be a little more liberal with your definition of what close contact is and not quarantine a whole team. And I think there's room for common sense by doing that. I don't think, you know, you're just taking the, the, you know, this wide swash of like, okay, oh, you're sick or you're testing positive. All right. Anyone in the state, you're, you're now quarantined. Like you can, they're doing things like that. Um, you need to be a little bit more, um, you know, I think you can be more reasonable, but then you're open things up to, 
well, his roommate is the starting quarterback, so he's not going to have to quarantine. Like, no, the roommate should probably be in quarantine. You know, things like that. Not, well, that guy that he saw two months ago should be in quarantine. No, you don't need to do that one, but you can't go overboard. And will teams do that if it's a key player that they should be quarantining and aren't? Yeah, and that's what makes this whole experiment, if you will, so interesting because who gets the final say on on who can maybe postpone a game or, or, or has to sit out or, you know, it, it, like I said on Tunnel Vision, there's always room for shenanigans in college football, so it's going to be interesting to see when these games, if they get started, who sits out, how it all happens, I do not know. Yeah, we don't know that either, um, but, you know, hopefully the, the student-athletes on campus or, you know, just off campus are staying safe and mm-hmm. uh, going forward with all that. Um, also, want to talk to you about, I mean, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, that you're really not hearing a peep out of the Pac-12. Uh, it was, I think it's a good thing that everyone was at least on the same page and knowing you had states like California representing, uh, you know, a third of the programs in the Pac-12, that you aren't allowed to lift weights inside yet. You aren't allowed to gather in groups of more than 12. You can't really share a football. It makes the decision to not play easier, especially when you're two highest profile programs you know, in Los Angeles. They're just not able to do anything mm-hmm. that you can do in other parts of the country. So I think that makes it a little bit easier to say, you know what, we just can't practice right now. There's no way we could play football. And they're not, we're not seeing the pushback. Now, maybe the, the fan involvement isn't as, you know, rabid or whatever that you have in some other areas. But, you know, as for all the shots you want to take at Larry Scott, this is, I think it was well um, communicated. I think uh, it was well thought out. And they came out with a schedule first. They did have a, good, a pretty good plan to try to mitigate any risks if they were going to play a season. But when it came down to it, they're like, just the way things are going, there's no way we can. And, I get it. I don't, I mean, some people are going to say it's political. It might be political in in California, why you can't do those things, but you're working in that environment where you can't do those things. So you can't really play football. Um, But the big 10 Keely is like the exact opposite, even though it's more well-run, they make way more money. Um, Holy cow is Kevin Warren (laughs) under a lot of pressure. You have, I mean, you want to get political. You have the president of the United States saying that he's telling them to go play. Uh, now there's a lot of swing States in the, in the big 10, you know, uh, footprint, maybe that has something to do with it. But I think, I think he genuinely does want, you know, college football to happen. He wants schools to open. So the conferences that don't want, you know, aren't doing it. I think he wants to put some pressure there, but there was rumors that they could start as early as October 10th. I know like within the last week, um, you know, there was uh talk about, um, you know, coming back, uh, after, uh, Thanksgiving and, you know, they've made the decision to, you know, postpone and, you know, till the, at least the first of the year. And I don't see why, uh, that would change at this point, but there's more, you know, because they don't have everyone on the same page. Um, you know, this is what's happening right now. And, and it's kind of crazy. The mess that the big 10 is in all the national sports writers are tweeting about it. What does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, the, 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 you know, there was rumors that there was no vote, and then they came out with there was an 11 to three vote to shut down the season. With I think Iowa, Nebraska, and uh, Ohio State, and Ohio State is the one saying, um, you know, we want to go through with the season. It's an absolute just crap show over there, to, to put it in a nice way. Yeah, and I con- I just continue to be baffled just by how they kind of rolled out their decision. Remember, they were the first ones to roll this out, and it was kind of like Kevin Warren just saying, this is it, and this is what we're doing. Whereas when you look at how the Pac-12 did it, like you said, they they had a full press conference, they had like pres- one of the presidents, they had the medical advisory group, like, and they released their report. Like There was at least transparency so you could understand why they got to where they got to, whereas Kevin Warren, which, was there a vote? I'm not sure. It's very ambiguous, but then according to the brief that was filed on Monday, it was like, no, the presidents voted 11-3, to 3, and that seems pretty uh, decidedly, like, it seems like it was decided pretty easily on that front. I just, I don't know why you wouldn't put all your, uh, put it, why not put it all on the table and not let these coaches, it seems like coaches are kind of trying to make their their case heard with reporters with some convenient leaks. Whereas I think people forget that it's the presidents and the chancellors who make the final decision. And, you know, uh, Morton Shapiro for Northwestern, he just sent people home with the students home. It's not like he's going to turn around and be like, you know what, but October 10th for football sounds great. You know, it's, it's, 
it's gonna it's up to the presidents and I just think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance with the coaches of what's really happening I mean if you look at Ohio high schools are playing but Ohio State's not playing I'm sure that is a very hard pill to swallow so I can understand why there's some feistiness but like I said Ryan this has just been a mess from start to finish it's it's just crazy watching this all fall out it is absolutely uh, nuts right now, and it's rare you can say that the Pac-12 just looks, you know, like way more buttoned up than the Big Ten, but that's the way uh, things are going right now, and it's only going to get worse as we start to, we saw an FCS game, uh, you know, happen, Austin P versus uh, Central Arkansas. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday night, we see our first um, FBS games. Uh, I think uh, South Alabama is one of the teams playing, and then, you know, Within a uh, you know week and a half or so, we're going to start to see some Power Five teams play. So as more game, if games happen, continue to happen, and there's no shutdown, and there's not a big spread, and and people seem to be fine, that's only going to you know that'll put some more pressure on the Pac-12 too. Like, hey, why'd you guys cancel? And they could at least say, well, California, you still can't lift a weight inside. So what do you want us to do? Yeah. Which okay, but for the Big Ten, it's just it's it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse if you see. You know Notre Dame and and Duke playing on September 12th or every game that is. You, you tell me like the Ohio State fans are not going to be like driving themselves crazy like what the hell? you know Nebraska everyone's going to go nuts when they start seeing that stuff. Yeah, and I think the problem too is that when it comes to the Pac-12, I think they were very set in this is dangerous because we there's so much uncertainty. So. Um, Whereas fans would say, it's uncertain, so let's keep going. You know, I don't think a lot of fans had issues with, you know, having 20-plus cases of, of coronavirus with, with certain student-athletes, where I think more presidents would be concerned with that. You know, it's just that the interests are different for each party, so I don't think the Pac-12 would ever say, you know what, we did it wrong. Because I think at the end of the day, they're still going to say, we made the right call where when we did because of what we knew. You know what I mean? What I mean? Like, it's just... The different parties are going to have different interests, and I can see why fans would just be so angry, whereas I think no one on the administrative side would really budge on their their decision. Yeah, um, and I mean, you're exactly right. This is a presidential level uh, type of decision, and uh, you know, the, the coaches and the, you know, the athletic directors can like float any rumors, whatever they want, um, but I, I just don't see any kind of major change happening. Uh, I I think they need to do what the Pac-12 is likely going to do. And it's basically just sit back and watch. You hope that everything goes forward. Now, if things get shut down, then you feel you cross your arms and you're like, yeah, you know, this is why we shut down because we thought this was going to happen. If that doesn't happen, uh, then it opens you up to like, well, they're proving this out that they can do it and make it work. If we feel we can do it safely, here's our plan to come back. Uh, I don't think having a season start in the middle of fall, and I, I think Stuart Mandel put up a poll about this. I don't think it makes sense to have a season start in the middle of fall no. and then go through when the playoff would be for everybody else and then continue in the spring. It's To me, it's rather just just wait till the spring, and you can have a separate season along with the Pac-12. You'll have way more eyeballs on what you're, you know, on, on your uh, your games, and you'll feel better because you've known if you get to that point, They've already proven that a full season or, you know, almost full season can work. Whatever you do, if it's a six game thing and then you just have like a Rose Bowl type of deal or eight games, whatever you want to do, you can figure something out uh, for the spring and have plenty of time off before you do something again in the fall. So I I think that's probably the smartest course of action. But there's just so much contention in the Big Ten right now that they're going back to the original decision and you're trying to like, which you can't really reverse right now. You can't start up. Uh, and get these guys going and get camp done in, in two weeks and start playing football like these other conferences are doing. So you sort of have to leave that behind. But that's the big mess right now. The Big Ten is not leaving it behind. It's, they keep bringing it up to the forefront. And the thing you have to ask yourself is who's bringing it up to the forefront? Because if it's the presidents, then that's that's who's going to make the, the move. You know, it's going to be nine votes that need to have the season come back. But I don't think it's the presidents who are causing a fuss behind the scenes considering they had their say. And so, yeah, you can have all this noise and all this, this media attention and even the president get into it. But I don't think, I know I keep saying this, but if the presidents aren't the ones budging, I just feel like this is a lot of hoopla that might not actually turn into anything. Yeah. 
You know, Ryan, we actually have a question that we can get to. It's Ooh. from Junior from Marina Valley, who gives a shout out to Curtis from Marina Valley. <laughs> so shouts to Marina Valley, I guess. Uh, he says, I really enjoy your podcast. Since we're in 2020, I had a crazy, not so crazy idea for the 2020 football season. USC should play UCLA in a 10 game schedule. It's worth a thought since it's 2020. Anything goes. Fight on, Junior from Marina Valley. Hey, Junior. I actually drove out there a couple of times when I was going climbing. And uh, so I'm like, oh, that's where Marino Valley is. I'm out San Bernardino way. Um, So you think that my understanding of this, Keely, is USC and UCLA play each other 10 times in one season. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know how well that would go over. Uh, I think USC and UCLA are the teams that are restricted the most. So if they could play each other, they could play most of the Pac-12, I would think, at that point. So I don't know about that. I, I would love the idea of like an exhibition game or something, but as far as 10 times head-to-head, I think the players would get tired of it after about two. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, maybe th- you could have like home-and-homes. Like that could be a possibility. Like, But for football, playing someone 10 times, that should be over a decade, not over, you know, three months. See, but I'm so football-deprived and starved, Ryan, that I would take it 10 times. That's fine. And the interesting thing would be Chip Kelly trying to scheme 10 times. You'd Ooh. see some some crazy things, right? You might come out one week and uh, UCLA's running, like, the wing T, and then some <laughs> of the, you know, like, yeah. Uh, that would be fun. Like, what kind of stuff could you implement each time, like, trying to do yeah. something a little bit different? Mm-hmm. But the problem is with football, like, if the teams weren't close – the, the better team is going to roll the other team probably most of the time, you know, like maybe you get like one upset or something, but um, yeah. So I don't know. Eh, we'll see, but uh, <laughs> interesting idea. Uh, we get some interesting ideas from yeah. Reno Valley, but I'm not we sure. We love the one. creative ideas. Well done. Yeah. It's Keep a creative part of uh, Southern California, apparently. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm going out that way too. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, I'm going to climb a uh, San Gorgonio. It's the uh, oh. sixth peak on my six pack of peaks in Southern California. So do a little camping, a little hiking, and uh, that'll be my last summit. It's the highest uh, peak in Southern California, 11,500 feet. So looking forward to that one. Wow. Good luck. Yeah. But I think we drive by Reno Valley on the way out there. So. Um, awesome. All right. Well, uh, why don't we take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk uh, more about this USC alumni club and Trojan clubs being shut down by USC and Get into all of that. So we got a couple of Sams in here to talk about that, and we'll be back in a minute to do that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We're talking a little different subject today, talking about the USC Trojan and alumni clubs. And we have a couple special guests that are really experts in this field and what's been going on with USC. Really just catch us, get us up to speed on what's going on. It's been changing quite a bit. These alumni clubs and, and Trojan clubs have been around for a long time, and now they've essentially been eliminated. We're going to kind of find out why and where we can go from here. Uh, we have a couple of guests. We have uh, Sam Friedberg. Is it Friedberg, Sam? Friedberg. Friedberg, I am sorry about that. So I'm Friedberg. Uh, so he graduated from USC 1996 with, this is close to my own heart, a master's in electrical engineering. I graduated 95 with a master's in electrical engineering. So um, we're close there. He lives in Chandler, Chandler, Arizona. He's got a wife and a couple of sons and really been active with the alumni club of Phoenix for 15 years. 
And so we want to get him to talk about that. Uh, well, Sam, we'll just welcome you in first. Sam, welcome in and Thank congrats you. on being an MSEE like myself. All right. Excellent. Yeah. So one year apart. Uh, and we also have Sam Dorn. Uh, so he graduated a uh, little, he's a little younger than us, 2015, uh, with dual bachelor's degrees in political science and something close to Keeley, broadcasting <laughs> and digital journalism. So Keeley, you guys have a kindred spirit there. Actually, that, isn't that the year you graduated too? Or you were 2016? No, 2017 actually, but we're so, close. It's pretty close. All right. Yeah. Um, 2015 sounds like he's a kid, but he's, he's actually a little older than you. Uh, so he's also involved <laughs> with the alumni club about out in Washington, D.C. Since he graduated, he was the secretary, vice president, and actually two terms as president. And he's a former USC Annenberg alumni ambassador. Well, Sam uh, D., welcome in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is cool that you guys both, your, your degrees kind of match what uh, your, the two hosts are. Um, but we wanted to get, you know, there's this movement, you know, I believe Save Our Clubs, uh, of what's going on here. So maybe Sam F., we'll start with you getting sort of a, just an overview. Where are we now? Like what happened and, and uh, what's going on with the alumni clubs and the Trojan clubs? Okay. So where we were is that uh, for over a century uh, nationwide, any Trojan alumni could go to almost any major city in the country and get connected with a regional alumni club in their area. Um, in June, it was announced that the USC Alumni Association was taking the step of disbanding all 45 of the domestic regional alumni clubs uh, in favor of a new model that they considered to be more of a, a program-based model instead of a regional club-based model. Uh, the effect of that was that the regional clubs were eliminated. Um, that was uh, announced to the club presidents on June 3rd. On June 23rd, uh, the Alumni Association hosted a town hall meeting where general alumni learned that the regional clubs were dissolved. And uh, the, the response was, was pretty negative uh, on that. There were several hundred alumni there, and uh, it, it devolved into uh, a not very good meeting and not a very pleasant meeting really for anyone. But uh, later on that same evening following the town hall, the uh, Save USC Alumni Clubs movement was formed as a direct result of that town hall and of alumni seeing that there were many others around the country who felt the same way that they did uh, about the clubs having been dissolved. So that's how, our, that's how we came together. It was all organic uh, of people that just felt strongly and, and passionately about, uh, about the benefits that they've experienced personally from the regional alumni clubs. So I was on uh, that initial, I believe it was the initial Zoom call um, that USC hosted. There was like 400 people or something on that. Yes. And uh, I can't tell you how negative the reaction was. There was it was basically, you know, you had the people that were hosting it from the USC side telling you, this is why we got rid of all those clubs that you're a part of. And I didn't see or hear from anyone on that call that was like, that makes sense. This is a good idea. Everyone was pushing back. Some people were a little more confrontational. Other people were just trying to be, uh, you know, even keel and just tell them, hey, you know, they were straight. You know, they, I, I think they were clear and concise about saying, this is why we think it's a bad idea. Is that the right read from that? It didn't seem like anybody liked this decision. Yeah, I, I would say, Ryan, that is a, a pretty fair and accurate read. Um, I think as we've gone further, what we want to acknowledge, what our group has said from the beginning as we've proceeded as, as Sam's outlined the events, is that we're not suggesting that the club model in any way was perfect uh, and that we should revert back to what it was whole cloth with no changes. We want to work with USC to create the best alumni experience for everyone. We all share that common experience of being a Trojan. We want every alumni, uh, alumnus, I should say, excuse me, or alumna um, across the country to have the very best experience possible with their alumni network. Uh, so we want to work with the university to do the best, uh, the best system possible. But to do this unilaterally in the way it was done uh, was not perhaps the best way to roll it out. And I think you, you bring up the point of the way it was done. And when I first heard about this and I think, you know, I've talked to different people that have run clubs. I've, you know, I've, we, I mentioned this earlier in the show before you guys were on that I, you know, I would speak at a bunch of different, uh, you know, events, clubs and, you know, around Southern California or across the country, depending if USC was traveling somewhere and, um, you know, for a football game. And it just seemed to something that worked well. And it, it almost felt like for everyone I talked to that there was like this bomb dropped on something that they've worked hard on and volunteered for for a really long time. And I, the analogy that popped in my head, and I love analogies, 
um, when USC came out with the Coliseum remodel, uh, you know, it wasn't well received, but it was sort of like one of those things that this was a decision handed down from on high and there was no way to like reverse it. There was this, this is already the decision. Here's the reasons why we want it to be this way. Here's why we want the tower to come out and uh, take up all those good seats. Here's what, but there were, there wasn't a discussion on, well, what are the pros and cons of it? It was basically a decision was made and then it was given to everyone. It's like, you, now you just have to deal with it. And all the, the people that work at USC, they weren't able to take any feedback in from it because they, the, the people that you know were going to sit there weren't part of the decision process. They were only left kind of telling everyone, here's why it happened. Uh, if, if you don't like it, tough. It just seems like this is a similar kind of thing where a decision was made without consulting any of you guys. And now everyone that it, the decision impacts, they're upset, but there's no recourse because the, like they've already made this decision and they're just going down this road no matter what. That, that's a pretty good reflection of how people felt about it. Uh, for, from the perspective of alumni who did participate in the regional clubs, um, we were all kept in the dark as this new model was being developed and being considered. Um, from what we have, have heard from the USC Alumni Association, they did do a, a variety of alumni surveys and, and apparently had gotten a lot of feedback from uh, alumni around the country. It just was not any of the alumni that actually uh, used and, and took advantage of their regional clubs. Um, so once that decision came out, it was initially brought up as though, hey, this decision has been made and now we're just going to go with it. And that's been what our group has been uh, about is attempting to reopen negotiations with the USCAA to come up with what we consider to be some type of a hybrid model. Uh, where we do recognize that they've put in a lot of, of work and a lot of effort over uh, a couple of years in developing some new tools. And we have nothing against the new tools they've created. Uh, we only objected to the disbanding of the clubs. And uh, and nobody liked the way that this was announced and how it was considered without the uh, the input of those that were most directly affected. And that's what I was going to ask is why do you think USC didn't involve you guys in the process considering you guys are so close to it and would have the best advice? Well, I think that uh, if they had to do it again, they would do it differently at this point. Um, I think that uh, there was an, an idea that may have gotten into potentially a little bit of an echo chamber where the way that the ideas was, was brought up internally with the USCAA sounded like it was all a great idea. And uh, maybe they didn't want those in the regional clubs to derail it. And I don't think that they anticipated the the degree and the, 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 the depth and the breadth and the intensity of the alumni opposition that would come after it. Uh, because I, I sincerely believe that they believe this was just going to be a good idea. Um, but the, the poor communication prior to the rollout and the, in, in the process of, um, you know, reaching a final decision without consulting the people involved. Um, from our perspective, it had no choice but to get a lot of pushback. But I, I believe that if they could have done it differently, they would have at this point. And Ryan, your uh, original analogy was so uh, on point here, because as you recall, I'm sure very well, uh, when they were originally going to rename the Coliseum itself, there was so much bash, uh, backlash that had not been anticipated. And they ended up having to work together to come to a compromise that respected both the history of the uh, L.A. Memorial Coliseum and respected the uh, corporate givers naming rights. Right. So we're asking for the same kind of uh, consultation where you respect the history of these alumni clubs and we can work together to find a reasonable solution that incorporates, as Sam said, the best of the club model and adds to it with the new tools that have been developed by uh, the university. Yeah, and that, you, you mentioned the new tools and, and kind of a hybrid model. And I, I don't know if it's if Sam F or Sam D who's better for this one, but just what do you feel like that's a hybrid model would look like? And maybe you want to describe what USC is sort of replacing the alumni clubs with this more of an online portal. And then we can kind of get into some of the pros and cons of that. But what would like this you know, proposed kind of hybrid model look like? Well, the hybrid model would include some level of there being a, a local leadership structure. Um, what clubs have functioned as is kind of a, a standing welcoming committee to alumni that may come into the area or members of the extended Trojan family, not necessarily alumni, but uh, parents of students 
um, you know, uh, current students, even even fans. Um, we've had a lot of game watches. I know this is a, often a football-centered podcast, but one of our main uh, ongoing events that we have is uh, game watches where we get together, and we're very welcoming to people who come in. And from there, uh, a lot of relationships begin. Uh, and we feel that the, the human-to-human connection has value separately than uh, just participating in individual events, but having that having that type of um, uh, family feel that the clubs create is, is important. Uh, we also wanted to be sensitive to what we became aware that the, the USCAA said that there were some compliance issues with some of the domestic clubs. Uh, not all. Uh, many of them were not something most people would think would be very serious, but uh, nobody has any, any desire to do anything to, to hurt USC. That's not our goal at all. Um, and a hybrid model would remove kind of some of the, uh, the potential for things being done that could reflect badly on USC or, or cause liability. Um, one of the things that Sam Dorn can talk about more than I can is uh, a change of clubs no longer handling money, which uh, was a burden and, and led to some complications. Yeah, I can certainly jump in there. Uh, One thing I just do want to address, uh, just to get to your specific question, Ryan, is what specifically would replace the domestic clubs uh, in this new model that has been uh, implemented? What we have learned is that um, replacing the domestic clubs will be a series of five to ten. There hasn't been uh, perfect clarity yet as to how many regional advisory groups. Uh, The difference between a regional advisory group and a regional club Uh, at this point, or a domestic club, I should say, is that a regional advisor group meets quarterly. Uh, It's not the same local elected feel. Uh, All of the people serving on it are vetted and appointed by the university. Uh, So those local communities don't have the same uh, democratic voice. And if you'll forgive me uh, for living in Washington, D.C., that's kind of my bent. Um, But more importantly, all of the regional advisory groups, again, there's five to ten planned right now, are on either the West Coast or the East Coast right now. And so that puts us in a bind. If you're in the middle of the country, uh, you have no affiliate organization in your area. And the point I always raise, and and this is something Sam F can certainly uh, appreciate more than most, we play football in Arizona every single year, whether it's uh, U of A or ASU, we're playing there every single year. And we're not going to have an organization there ready to uh, receive the alumni community when, God willing, we're able to travel again. That to me seems a little uh, a little silly. Uh, in regards to the guardrails that Sam F was talking about, uh, yes, as a president, one of the biggest headaches I had was handling money, uh, and it's obviously something you want to be sensitive of. We're talking about organizations that have budgets ranging in the tens of thousands of dollars, uh, and it's a big relief off our shoulders to not have to handle that anymore, frankly. No, yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, that would be one of the things where I know the clubs would raise money and. Then you got to you know get USC involved. I, there's probably a way where you're you're organizing the group, and but you're going to donate money and it's just going to go right to USC. It doesn't have to come to us and be a middleman or anything. And we're going to put this much money towards scholarships or whatever. I think that makes sense. But I feel like having the regional clubs or some sort of organization there with the the actual boots on the ground makes sense. And I I, I try to think of examples and like what how simple things would work. And you mentioned like the football watch parties. That's something you do every fall. Obviously we're not doing it this fall, but every fall, that's something you would do. If you're in New York city and I'd work with, they would have like a bar down, you know, in Manhattan or whatever they would go. If if you're in DC or you're, you know, you're in Phoenix, we're going to go on mill Ave and we're, this is the USC bar. We're all going to go watch, uh, USC play Washington or whatever it is. Um, so maybe describe, how that works with the clubs. Is it like an email blast and you, you know, someone's involved, like finding the venue, making sure like they get the PAC 12 network, all that kind of stuff, making sure you have tables and drink specials and whatever it is versus what the new model would be. If there's an online portal, like how would they create, if there's, you know, if there's no group there in that region, how would they create these kind of watch parties, uh, you know, in the new model? That, that's one of the challenges. Uh, we really felt that club leaders, when we work together, 
uh, it reduces any individual person's burden of planning and producing an event on their own and doing all the things that you've talked about, about finding a venue and communicating uh, with them, make sure they have the things that they need. And then different different clubs have had multiple different ways of communicating with the, the people who have opted in, whether it be through Facebook groups or Instagram or uh, email lists. Uh, but it also uh, provides a, a support system where people in the area know who has their back in case uh, a complication comes up. So you mentioned, you know, a watch party on, on Mill Avenue or bar there. So there's a real, real event that happened uh, this last year when USC was playing basketball at ASU. And we plan to have a pregame mixer uh, at a restaurant on Mill Avenue which is in walking distance of the, uh, the basketball arena for ASU. But uh, as it turned out, uh, the person who had initially taken the lead on planning that event uh, had a, a, a family issue come up. He wasn't able to come, but it was easily, uh, easily done where he knew who he could reach out to, who else was on the board or part of the, the leadership team. Uh, and we're okay not having boards. It's not that it's not the boards or the titles that we, we want necessarily, but Knowing who has your back and who you can call in case something goes wrong um, is very helpful. In the in the current model, um, the new the new current model, uh, their individual events would have you know one primary volunteer and submit an application through the USC Alumni Association to produce an event, and a lot of it may end up falling on that one person's shoulders to find the venue, coordinate it. And then, you know, if something comes up with that one person who's the lead, uh, it's really not clear that there would be any backup necessarily uh, to make the, uh, you know, for somebody to host the event. And in that case, like, it sounds like that would be something where one person has to take the lead. Uh, I mean, could you have like three people in the Phoenix area say, hey, I'm going to do a watch party. They all <laughs> submit it or and this, something has to get like approved by USC. And then how do other alumni find out about it? Like it, that's what I'm not quite understanding. So yes, currently when we're marketing our events, as or I should say when we were marketing events as clubs, we would do it in a number of ways. And I think the integral fact to remember here is that every market is different, right? And that impacts not only how you structure your event, but it impacts how you market it. So for us in the greater DC area, where we have a lot of young people, DC happens to be one of the younger cities in the country, we did a lot of marketing over social media. And when I say that, I don't just mean Facebook. I mean Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we had a LinkedIn group. We had um, an Instagram handle. We had a number of things uh, through which we were reaching out. And we were constantly experimenting with different ways to get that message out. If you lived in an area that was a lot older, you might use exclusively email. The problem with the new system as we see it is that marketing marketing is exclusively limited to Facebook. Uh, now, that presents a number of problems, not the least of which is if you're not on Facebook, you've eff uh, effectively been ostracized from the USC community. Uh, USC has told us there will be some limited emails throughout the course of um, the year, but it takes too long in their process. What they've told us is it'll take a multiple week lead time to get an email out to get something uh, sent to people. Uh, we all have experienced the, the struggles and the headaches of trying to get people to commit to an event. Sending one email six weeks out is not a helpful way to get people to turn up for events. No, you gotta be on top of them all. Yeah, that's just the whole boots on the ground thing. Unfortunately, you can't really test this model because we got the pandemic. Um, it, you know, you could have shown them like within two weeks of like, hey, look, this isn't working. No one's coming to these events. No one's organizing them. Um, yeah, that it really doesn't make a lot of, uh, of sense to me. But the younger demographic is something I wanted to bring up, too. You mentioned that with the social media. I guess uh, it's it's only us olds that are on the Facebook that, you know, the younger people, they use the other, you know, they're on TikTok or whatever. But, um, yeah, I feel like that was one of the issues. Some clubs had just a lot of older membership and maybe, uh, you know, they couldn't get young people to join and other maybe other ones where there's only younger people and. Uh, maybe not as many old people. I, is there in the hybrid model, is there a way to kind of get it to be better so you have like a wide, wide range of young alumni and older alumni? Well, we really want to um, emphasize being inclusive and welcoming everybody and, and meeting them where they are. Uh, the, you know, in a club model or in any model where there's local leadership, you know, we, we view 
an upcoming hybrid model that we hope to achieve is not necessarily having what they're going to call clubs, but some type of local leadership structure. And we feel the local leaders will have the best uh, handle on the pulse of who the alumni are in the area of who's who's participating and who could be participating and, you know, meet them where they are and communicate with them with uh, whatever the, the best method is. Also, if you have several local leaders, we can, and for example, in Phoenix, we have leaders of a, a variety of, of ages and decades in which we've graduated. But sometimes what will come up is different um, leaders will communicate with different groups of people within the clubs uh, in whatever way has the most rapport. Most likely people generally connecting in their same age group. But we know that the goal is to go across the age groups and to go across every type of demographic barrier that we can so that uh, we can welcome and include as many people as possible. I believe that having as much participation as possible is a common goal that we have with the USCAA. I don't think that they intended to shut anybody out. I actually believe their intent was was good in that regard. Uh, it's just the way that, that this got uh, released and implemented. Uh, it has some holes in it, and our goal is to, to fill the holes. Yeah. I would also add to that that you know, one of the things about the local clubs right now is we can adjust to the specific flavor of our markets in a way that can't be done under the new uh, system. And just to give you a specific example, one of the things we found in Washington, D.C. was we had a lot of parents uh, who were curious about their son or daughter going to L.A. and literally having the most basic logistic questions. And I empathize fully with that, having grown up in New York. Right. And these were questions from, you know, what's the easiest way to store my stuff over the summer? What kind of bags should I bring? Obviously, the weather in L.A. is very different from it is from what it is in Washington, D.C. or New York. Uh, what kind of clothing should I pack for my son or daughter? Should they get a skateboard or should they get a, a bike? Uh, all those kinds of basic basic questions we were able to answer for parents. And we provided uh, we found that having a parent's chair was one of the most effective ways to bring people in who are not usually in our demographic under this new system. This is focused so extensively on programming for alumni that you uh, kind of write off all those folks who maybe aren't looking for an event to attend, but they're looking for a community to be a part of, for answers to be available. Yeah. Um, one of the issues that I wanted, you know, maybe this is something can be addressed in the hybrid model, and I don't necessarily understand exactly how it works, but a couple of years ago, USC played uh, Texas and Austin, and... I'm sorry. Don't remind us of all that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so we sometimes we'll do like as uscfootball.com, we would do these little road gatherings and we've had some really successful ones. We found a, a little bar. I think it was a key bar or something like that uh, in Austin. USC alumni owned the place. You know, we we put out like an email blast or whatever. We let people know like, hey, if you're going to go to the game, um, we're going to have this little event here. And it was raining. It's a small bar. I think that like could hold 200 people max. We had, we had it filled. There was a, people waiting outside in the rain. It was insane the number of people that came. And apparently, what I found out was that there was like I don't know if it was an alumni club or a Trojan club, um, but they were doing some event. But it was really exclusive. Like you had to be like invite to this thing. But there's all these alumni traveling or fans traveling to Austin to go to the game. And if you weren't part of this club, I don't, I, I apologize. I don't know which one it was. Um, then you couldn't get in. So they sort of like, well, here's an event for USC. And they just all kind of came to our event. Um, it was, it, can it, can some of the clubs or, I mean, maybe those are charger clubs, maybe not alumni clubs be a little too exclusive at times. Or, you know, could there be ways where you incorporate people that are traveling to these games, not necessarily just ones that live there. So, yeah, I mean, again, there's definitely, places where the clubs can be improved. No one is questioning that, certainly not myself. And I, I think I would speak for Sam in that regard as well. Um, but what we have found, what I found as an alumni club leader is that I was constantly begging for more people to show up to events. I want as many people as possible to show up to my events. So if anything, we had uh, the opposite problem of we were trying to get more people to show up. We weren't trying to be exclusive at all. Uh, and one thing I consistently said every year to everyone in the greater D.C. area I met was that um, if you are someone who wants to do an event that you see is not being done, 
if you want to start a hiking club or a book club or a fishing group or whatever the case might be, come up to us and we'll make it happen because we're here to serve you. Yeah. Makes sense. I was, I was just curious how you guys communicated what USC has been telling you guys to your respective groups. And like, what has been the feedback from alumni who maybe aren't as connected to it as you guys? Do they feel the same way as you guys? Sure seems so. Uh, so one of the things that happened early on is we, we had a petition that was put out on change.org. And uh, we now have over 5,000 petition signatures on this. Uh, and that includes not only alumni, but also spouses, family members, parents, students, even some, some USC faculty uh, had, had signed it. Um, we also have a Facebook group called Save USC Alumni Club. So a little bit of a plug here that if anybody is interested in, in this cause, uh, go to join Save USC Alumni Clubs on Facebook. Uh, and there's a lot of conversations come out of that. Uh, one of the things that's, that's very telling, uh, there's a link to the petition, by the way, from the Facebook group. But one of the things that, that people can do, first, if you haven't signed the petition, it would be nice if you did. But uh, indicate the reason why you're signing it and look at reasons that other people have indicated why they've signed it. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of personal, uh, heartfelt explanations as to why people felt that uh, the clubs were, were valuable to them personally for it. Um, what has USC, yeah, the response from USC, because I, I feel like you guys had some meetings and gone with them, kind of explained a lot of what you're explaining to us. I assume you explain uh, to USC. What has the feedback been uh, from them? Have they been open to like, hey, you know, this makes sense, or is it just not not necessarily they're open to that stuff? I would say there's been kind of an arc on that. Uh, you know, we started off, and you were on the town hall as well, Ryan, so you understand this. There was this very vehement opposition uh, to this new plan. And I think a lot of folks at the time, myself included, uh, and I speak as an Annenberg grad here, were hoping that a university with a PR school uh, would do a better job of reaching out and alleviating some of those concerns. Um, shortly thereafter, our group sent uh, a letter signed by a majority, um, members of the boards of a majority of former domestic clubs around the country uh, 74 people signed this letter, 74 club leaders uh, to the university, and we got uh, no response. We did, however, or we were, however, able after that to set up a couple of meetings, uh, and we've had ongoing conversations. And to be frank with you, uh, Ryan, they've been tough, as all good negotiations are, uh, but we see progress. Uh, we are hopeful, uh, like we've kind of said consistently, we want to work with the university. Uh, and all we're asking for is a partner in good faith on the other side of the table. And there is no one hybrid model that we're declaring has to be it. Uh, we're open to there being a, a range or a spectrum of different types of hybrid models um, that uh, that cover the weaknesses of the new model uh, with some of the things that we love the most about the clubs. One final question for me. I was just wondering for you guys personally, what has this been like for you? Because I just know I've heard people like you, your stories of how much like blood, sweat and tears you put into these clubs. What has this whole process been like for you and how have you handled it? It's been a lot. Um, and Sam and I were, were on the phone earlier and we were just joking that uh, sometimes working on this has felt like uh, a second day job. But the reason we do this, the reason we volunteer for USC, whether it's in this uh, Save USC Alumni Club's capacity as alumni club leaders. Um, Sam's hosted send-off at his house a number of times. I've been happy enough to put on a number of events over the course of the years in Washington, D.C. And the reason we do that is because we love the university uh, and we want it to succeed. So it's been tough. But the other thing I would say out of this is we've made a group of lifelong friends who have uh, been in the trenches together working to move this issue forward. It really shows how organically strong the Trojan Alumni Network is and the, the connection is uh, of people who didn't know each other at all before this from all around the country who have uh, spent a lot of time on a lot of Zoom calls together, um, getting to know each other well and, and becoming great friends in this. So uh, it actually seems at times as though the, the number one alumni participation activity right now is Save USC Alumni Clubs. But uh, it's it's been rough. It hasn't been all roses, is because we haven't yet gotten um, a final uh, version of of the you know, alumni model that that we all like. But it's been terrific uh, for me to be able to get to meet people coast to coast and everywhere in between from this. 
Well, guys, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time and kind of explaining what's going on there. I know there was a lot of fans that were kind of curious, uh, alumni fans and whatever, like, hey, what's going on um, with this? Is there like an email address or a website or, you know, your Facebook group? Where should you know people get in contact with you guys if they want to help out or learn more? So we have our Facebook group, uh, Save USC Alumni Clubs, and we also have an email address, uh, Save USC Alumni Clubs at Gmail, uh, G is in Grant mail.com awesome all right well uh sam dorn uh sam freeberg we appreciate your time and everything and uh thanks for uh you know talking with us about this we wish you the best of luck hopefully this can get resolved and you can i mean to me having people on the ground in the local markets just makes a ton of sense hopefully there there's a way you guys can work it out where that still continues to happen thank you very much thanks for having us thanks ryan thanks keely all right. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks, everyone out there for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.